Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. Now, CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. My parents didn't believe my sister was pregnant by the odd cat lady. To be fair, I didn't know what to think either. Ellen was a quiet girl, a senior in high school, straight B's, didn't really go on dates, didn't even really talk to boys. I mean, she had friends, sure, but not many of the male variety. She told me while I was reading in my room. In her hands was clutched the positive pregnancy test. She was crying and I felt stunned. I didn't ask about the father. It didn't really cross my mind at the time. I just hugged her after the stun faded and told her that we'd be okay. I went with her to tell our parents. Mum immediately burst into tears, sobbing and shaking her head. And my father went quiet, her face going a few shades paler. And then he spoke. Why are you lying to us like this? Ellen started crying again as she shook her head. But I'm not. I'm not lying. I'm... Shut up. My dad slapped the pregnancy test from her hand and stuck his finger in her face. His voice raising to a shout. I taught you better than to lie to us. What is this? You trying to hide your grades from us or something? I didn't know how to react to that. Ellen just sobbed and ran back to her bedroom. 
slamming the door shut. My dad turned his rage on me next. Did you put her up to this? Do you think it's funny? I bolted next. I'd never seen my dad this angry and I didn't want to bear the brunt of his anger. I figured when they'd calm down, they'd see reason and help Ellen cope with what was happening. But they didn't. Ellen tried to bring it up the next morning with just mum around, but her lips pressed together firmly and she refused to answer. Ellen pleaded with her to see reason, but she just told us to pick up some things from the store on the way home from school and left the table. Ellen just buried her face in her hands, past tears, and was just confused. I patted her on the back and told her that I'd come up with a way out of this. That afternoon, I googled some, some clinics near us, and I made a plan. I technically only had my driver's permit, but Ellen couldn't drive herself back after the procedure, so I figured what the heck, might as well try to get away with it. I shared with Ellen my plan, and although she was hesitant, I convinced her that this was the only way that she could get out of this. When we attempted to go out for ice cream the next afternoon, Dad stopped us. Stupidly, I had forgot to erase the browser history. He screamed at us, telling us that we were both going too far with our little joke and that we were grounded until Ellen confessed to lying. His face was bright red. A vein was popping out so far in his forehead that I thought it was going to pop. But Dad was always hot-tempered, but I'd never seen him like this. But the moment Ellen opened her mouth to say something, Dad punched her straight in the jaw. Actually punched her. And he's no small guy, so he hit her hard. Ellen hit the floor and I saw her spit a bloody tooth on the ground before she started sobbing. I dragged her by the arm as Dad screamed after us how we weren't leaving this house for anything but school until we came clean. I helped clean up Ellen's mouth, wiping away the blood and managing to sneak down for some frozen peas to press against her jaw. She shook her head and just looked at me. I am pregnant. You believe me, right? It didn't really matter if I believed her or not, because she was. Over the next few weeks, Ellen would be nearly knocked over with morning sickness. Morning sickness is giving it too much credit, though. She had days where she was slumped over the toilet, unable to keep much of anything down. If mum caught her, she'd just say that Ellen had the flu. If dad caught her, he'd call out her prank and make her get dressed for school. It was hell. Actual hell, and... I could only stand by and watch. Ellen wasn't sent to the doctor for prenatal care and I did my best with school computers to research how to help. But the help of a 15 year old isn't exactly much help. I mean, I wasn't a medical professional after all and that's what she really needed. As her belly swelled, Ellen became a joke of the school. Rumours spread about how she slept with one of the teachers to pass her class or that she had no idea who the father was because she'd been fucked by anyone who could take her. But to her credit, Ellen didn't ever respond to these rumours. She'd just simply carry on with how she had always. I think sometimes that even Ellen would doubt her own pregnancy. I'd catch her staring at the mirror, running her hands over the bump with the most 
a quizzical expression, like she had no idea what was really in there. And no, the baby bump didn't convince my parents either. My mother began to restrict Ellen's food intake, saying that she really needed to watch her weight, even though Ellen had probably never been above 100 pounds in her entire life. It was... It was incredibly fucked up to have to sneak her food every night so that she wouldn't go starving. Sometimes it'd be leftover lasagna from dinner. A lot of the time it was only like a pack of raisins or a snack bag of chips. But it didn't matter. Ellen was always thankful. But despite our screwed up situation, it did help me and my sister grow closer. We were just that difference in age that it wasn't easy for us to really bond. But I was the only one that really stuck with her. As she became more and more obviously pregnant, her few friends drifted away or simply stopped talking to her. Months passed and Ellen graduated with passing grades and looked positively enormous, even with the graduation gown. She smiled during pictures and I think that that's one of the last times that she sincerely smiled. Now that school was out though, there was no leaving the house. We were prisoners in our own home and I could only get on the computer with mum or dad lurking nearby, so no more pregnancy research. I had to rely off the notes I'd managed to take during the school year. I'd keep moving them around my room so that my parents couldn't find them. When Ellen went into labour, I thought that my dad was going to kill her. Ellen was on the couch moaning in pain, begging dad to call 911. She needed to go to the hospital. But he just stood there, his arms crossed, and he glared down at her. Enough is enough. You are not pregnant. He snapped. He wasn't going to help. He wasn't going to let anyone get help. What happened next, though, is something that I should have done a long time ago. I attacked my dad. Seeing my sister in pain while my dad did nothing was what sent me over the edge. I grabbed a pair of scissors off the computer desk and charged with a banshee yell. I didn't kill him. I was tempted, but I didn't. I stabbed him in the arm, and as he toppled back, I helped Ellen off the couch and got her into her room. We didn't have locks in our room, but I blocked it off with a chair and prayed that it would be enough. Ellen laid on her bed, clenching her sheets and screaming as another contraction shook her tiny frame. The whole thing was a blur, really. I held my sister's hand until she nearly crushed it. I got her old baby blanket out of the closet and I told her that she could do this. Her screams shook the windows. Well, at least I thought it was her scream shaking the windows. But I realized that the whole house was shaking. I remember thinking that this would be the time for an earthquake when I realized that it was time to catch the baby. My niece was so tiny, so still. Her skin was tinted blue and I thought she was dead to begin with. Until she opened her mouth and she cried. My sister looked up at me, her face white as a sheet and covered in sweat. And I did my best to clean off the baby and wrapped her in a blanket, handing her to my sister and smiled. I heard footsteps behind me and 
I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Had my dad gotten in during this insanity? I turned around and I can't quite describe what was behind me. Only that it was tall, its head brushed the ceiling. But the room seemed to grow dark with its presence. Its features hidden by a black cloak that brushed the floor. I nearly jumped out of my skin when it spoke too. Its voice low and ominous. Is the child healthy? It asked. I gulped. I... I... I, I think so. My sister looked up and relief poured over her face. You're here. I thought you wouldn't make it. She said, a true smile crossing her face. I wouldn't forget you. The creature crossed to the bed and gingerly picked up my sister. I caught a glimpse of what was under the cloak's hood. Strangely, I think he was rather beautiful, with dusky blue features and eyes pure black. He nodded at me. She'll carry a form of your name, child, and for your kindness. He pulled a pouch from his pocket, setting it in my hand. I undid the string and sparkling gold pieces poured into my hand. A strange man walked to the closet, opening it up. I could hear my niece squall and my sister excitedly tell the stranger how happy she was to see him. The door closed behind him. I got to my feet and opened it up and there was nothing there. Except for a few of my sister's dresses and some mismatched shoes. I sunk to the floor, wrapping my arms around myself and allowing myself to cry as my dad finally broke in. I've never seen my sister again too, although sometimes late at night, I swear that I can see a small child peering in from my closet. G'day mates, so I just wanted to take a quick break before the next story to thank you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. If you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favour, to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's B-I-S-H dot B-U-S-T-A at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the next story. My students submitted the most disturbing living history project that I've ever seen by Gretel Cat. One of my least favourite parts about being a middle school history teacher is the bullshit living history assignments we give at the end of each school year. The kids are supposed to sit with their grandparents and videotape, voice record or transcribe their oldest memories for posterity. And for an easy way to bring up their GPA. I've been doing this for 17 years and when I collected the projects this time around, I assumed that they would be as dull if not duller than usual. This had not been a particularly bright class by any means. So, I went home, poured myself a glass of wine and prepared for a long night of I only owned two pairs of pants when I was your age and my mother got beat with a newspaper for hitting a baseball into a neighbor's yard. And of course, 
These projects were peppered with innocent old person comments that were so horribly sexist and racist, you just had to laugh. Now, I had a girl in my class whom I'll call Olivia. She was pudgy, quiet, and proved herself a consistent B student. I expected her project to be as unremarkable as her. And perhaps that's why I was so profoundly disturbed by what I witnessed that night. Olivia had submitted two discs for some reason, so I began with the one marked interview. My screen hiccuped twice before a grainy image of a living room came into view. The place was a hoard as hell. Olivia was curled up in an armchair, clutching a notebook and looking like a scared animal. Across from her sat a man with a somber countenance, smoking a cigarette and staring at her expectantly. Go ahead. A woman's voice whispered from behind the camera. Olivia's owlish eyes flashed towards the screen, and then back to the man. Ah, uh, so I'm here with my great-uncle Stephen. She began, almost inaudibly. Uh, he's going to tell us about his oldest memories from being in the army. My great-uncle Stephen looked like he'd rather be in a fucking trench at that moment, but he waited patiently for the questions to begin. Not surprisingly, Olivia read verbatim from the suggested question sheet that I had handed out to the students. He answered curtly. Once or twice, I heard her mother whisper, speak up, Olivia, from behind the camera. The typical boring shit. So, I was intrigued when Olivia set down the notebook and asked. So, did you like being in the army? That was actually totally off script. Great Uncle Stephen emitted a chain smoker's wheeze. <laughs> nope. Glad to get out of my town, though. Where did you go? Balkans. Uh-huh, she said. I doubted she knew what the Balkans were, and my suspicion was confirmed when she asked. Was Borkus very different from here? Uh, yes. Mum cleared her throat from behind the camera perhaps encouraging great-uncle Stephen to be a little more forthcoming. But Olivia seemed genuinely interested. Uncle Stephen, she asked, what's your very worst memory from the army? The old man crushed his cigarette in the ashtray and then slowly lifted himself out of his chair. I'll be back, he mumbled, and the camera shut off. When the screen flashed back on, Everything was the same except Grand Uncle Stephen had several pieces of paper and plastic sleeves laid atop all the crap sitting on his coffee table. One he held in his hand. Well, I was a kid when I was enlisted, he said, looking at Olivia. Your brother's age, he told her. Olivia nodded. I never saw combat. Both of my deployments were to cities in Eastern Europe that had been destroyed by civil wars. Everything was a mess. I felt like a janitor for fuck's <clears throat> Mum coughed. Great Uncle Stephen sighed and looked at his paper. My unit was assigned to a school that had been obliterated by all the violence. The broken windows, caved in rooms, and for some reason, the part that got to me the most was that the school had been like this for years before we even got there. No one had lifted a finger to fix it. I mean, I saw kids walk by it on their way to go beg for money or whatever shit they did. 
the camera dipped towards the floor as I heard Mum whisper harshly at Great Uncle Stephen. I couldn't make out what she was saying, but it wasn't hard to imagine. Well, do you want to do this fucking story or not? I heard him bark in response. Then you better let me tell it how I want. Mum. Olivia chimed. Please, stop interrupting. Well, are you presenting this in front of the class? No, Mum. We're just handing it in to the teacher. I'm sure he's heard the word shit before. Come on. Great Uncle Stephen contributed helpfully. I wasn't a he as a matter of fact, but other than that, the statement was accurate. The camera was lifted and after a couple of blurry focus adjustments, the shot was the same as before. Uh, I'm talking too much anyway, he grumbled. He lifted a piece of paper in his hand close to his face. In the basement, I found this letter. I didn't know what it said, but I had a buddy of mine translate it. So, I'm going to read it now, and then I'll tell you what I saw in that basement. A chill ran down my spine at this. Mum zoomed into Great Uncle Stephen and his letter. His palsied hands trembled as he held up the paper. And this is what he read. So, uh... It says, Dear Sir, I never loved my country. So many of these skirmishes are born from patriotism, a power struggle for the shards of a once great empire. But I don't care what my name home has on a map. This fighting is senseless, and I stay as far away from it as I can. It was not these attacks and disorganized violence that took the lives of my wife and child. It was illness. Mercifully, it happened quickly for the baby. Nadia suffered for longer. I watched in horror knowing that I could do nothing for them. My only solace is that I was there for them every step of the way. I stopped going to work one day and no one came after me. I doubt they noticed I was gone anyway. Since the school was simply across a field, visible from my window, it would have been easy to go for a few hours each day and come home quickly to care for them. But what was the point? All I did was clean floors. I was as useless to the world as I was to my family. I tried to take Nadia to the hospital, but the journey was too long and too taxing. I brought her home and she died that night. After Nadia and the baby were gone, well, I don't remember much. I didn't leave my hovel, barely ate and slept, thought many times of taking my own life. Tempting thought it was, too. I felt paralyzed by my own helplessness. The one thing that kept me sane was my radio. I never turned it off once. Even though I didn't listen to the words being said. In fact, the channel I got the clearest was in English, I think. Which I don't speak a lick of. But the voices, the music, and the true knowledge that life existed beyond this violent city sustained me. I have no idea how long passed before I saw the light of day again. I was dizzy from hunger, so finding food was my priority. My radio came with me, of course. Since I first hold myself up, it has gone everywhere with me. It talks to me as I sleep and as I wake. I don't know what it's saying, but I know I would die without it. Once I had some water and food, it occurred to me that the only thing left to do was to go back to work. So, I did. The following morning, I simply returned to the school where I was janitor and got back to work. Nobody made a big deal out of it. Like I said, Nadja had been sick for a long time, and those who worked at the school knew it. 
I appreciated that no one had pestered me to come back to work during the hardest days of my life. The teachers, they never said much to me, but we smiled at each other in the halls, and that mutual respect was perhaps the reason I decided to come back at all. The place had gone to the dogs without me, so I simply grabbed my broom and rags from my closet and set to cleaning. Everyone is grateful to have me back, I know, and the best part is, is that nobody minds my radio. I bring it with me everywhere and keep the volume low enough not to disrupt the students. No one has ever complained. In fact, I suspect they like it. The schoolhouse is not very big, but does require a lot of maintenance. The floors are always sticky and stained, so I spend most of my time mopping. The kids make messes, and I guess that's why I'm still in the business. Sometimes, I have to move things around to make sure that I get every spot on the floor beautiful and clean, but I take pride in that. And the repairs. The school always needs tune-ups here and there, and... Uh, I'm happy to help. Some days, I'm reconstructing a desk that broke as a whistle along with a radio. Other times, I handle more serious structural issues. But days when I work like this, I feel truly instrumental. Like a cog in a larger machine. How could this school survive without me? It took me a long time, but I once again feel that I have a purpose. There's a larder behind the school that is full of preserved food. In lieu of payment, I'm allowed to take as much food as I need. That arrangement is fine. What would I do with the money anyway? I used to bring the food back to my home, just one field away from the school, but when I started sleeping in the basement, no one seemed to notice. This school is special to me, and I can't leave it unguarded. When I'm besieged with memories of my wife and baby, I turn up the volume on the radio to drown out such thoughts. It works for me every time. Except this morning. Because this morning, I woke up to dead silence. I frantically examined the radio to see what had happened. I honestly can't tell you how many days in a row I've been using it. Did it simply live out its life and die naturally? I've spent the entire day trying to fix it, and most of the time, I've been crying. I'm losing my mind without it. I've given myself until sundown. If I can't fix it by then, I'm just going to end it all. I'm writing this because the sunlight is starting to die, and I know what my fate will be. I've thought about taking one last walk through the halls of my school, saying goodbye to the students and teachers. I know I'll be missed, but I can't bring myself to leave this room. I can't go anywhere knowing that my radio is dead in here. There are no more tears left in me. It feels now like I can't catch my breath. I vomited what little food I had in my stomach and I'm growing dizzy again, like I did after Nadia died. I'm not long for this world. But before I take my life, I've closed the door to this room and stuck a chair beneath the handle. It's the only room in the basement and has a small casement that lets in just enough light for me to see what I'm doing. If anyone is kind enough to come looking for me, they should not be met with this gruesome sight. But perhaps they'll see the door is blocked, smell my rotting body and 
simply forget I ever existed. But I have placed both my radio and this note outside the door. So, kind sir, if you're reading this, I have one humble request. Please fix it. Save my radio. It did not deserve to die in its sleep, and I'm ashamed that I can't revive it. But now, I'm ready to join Nadia and little Lord Miller in heaven. I hope this school can find another janitor who loves and cares for it the way I do. The hour is now. Do not forget my radio. Stun is love. When Mum zoomed back out, Olivia had tears in her eyes. Thank you for sharing, my Uncle Stephen. Mum said, her voice choked. I, uh, I think we have enough. Wait. Olivia chirped. He said there's more. What did you find? Before Great Uncle Stephen could open his mouth, the image disappeared. My jaw dropped. Was that it? What did Great Uncle Stephen see? I promptly remembered that there was a second disc. This one was unmarked, but I hoped it contained the rest of the interview. There was no video, only audio. The voice that started up was Olivia's. Uh, hi Miss Garrity. So, I'm sorry about my mum, but she refused to record the rest of what my uncle was saying, but I asked him to continue and secretly recorded the story as a voice memo on my phone. I remember you said earlier this year that history is written by the people who win wars. She sucked in a breath and commenced speaking. But everyone's history is important, even if they are sad, pathetic people, and even if they never won a single thing in their life. I haven't slept through the night since I finished this project, but you have to hear what my uncle has to say. There were tears in my eyes at this point. The sincerity of her words were beautiful. I was also flattered that she had remembered some trite phrase that I threw around because it was what my history teacher said to me. But before I got too sappy over it, the audio began again. Fine came Mum's frustrated voice. If you want to hear the rest of the story, fine. But this is not appropriate for a school project. Just let me finish. Great Uncle Stephen snapped. If it's too much for you, help yourself to a snack in the kitchen. But Olivia wants to know what happened. I heard her mother mumble something and walk away. Olivia and her uncle were alone and I imagined her looking at him expectantly. So, did you find the radio? Or did it get ruined when the school got blown up? He rasped and I heard the distinct click of a lighter. <laughs> the letter? He began slowly. It had a date on it. What date? She inquired hungrily. Well, it was dated two weeks before we started rebuilding the school. But didn't you say the school had been destroyed like two years ago? Yes, replied Great Uncle Stephen. It had been. There was silence as I felt goosebumps in my arms. The images that came to my mind were almost too overwhelming to express, but a great Uncle Stephen put them into words effortlessly. But clearly, he had spent his whole life thinking about it. This man, Stanislav, went to a vandalized, falling apart school and cleaned up blood and rubble like it was spilled drinks and dust. He 
He smiled at dead bodies in the hallway and believed that they were smiling back at him because they liked his radio. He moved around corpses so that he could sweep the ground under them. The roof was half collapsed, so when it rained, he must have been getting soaked wet, but was oblivious that he didn't even feel a thing. I could now hear Olivia crying steadily. I found the larder he was talking about, too. It was all pickled, preserved food that probably tasted like shit. I mean, most of the stuff was terribly moldy. Did, uh, did you see the dead body? Yeah, it was, uh, hanging from the ceiling, but still amazingly lifelike. He wasn't running away. This had happened years ago, too. Did he look peaceful? She asked, a chord of desperation in her voice. Uh, I couldn't tell you. The smell was rank and his face was blue and his eyes were bulging, like this. I imagined him demonstrating. And the radio? Olivia asked. I heard Great Uncle Stephen take a long drag of his cigarette. It was, uh, it was there all right. And it was still on. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bee Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family, and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.